Well, we're going to read John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, as we continue on in this series, really looking at the life and ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, this is written by the Apostle John, who on earth was one of, if not uh, the best friend of Jesus Christ. And so when you're looking at a biography, uh, what a privilege and joy it is to read the very words of one of the original 12 apostles who counted Jesus among his, his greatest and surest friends. So this is John chapter 3, reading in verses 22 through 36. Focusing on the life and ministry this week of not the Apostle John, but John the Baptist. John, 22, John 3, verses 22 through 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aenean near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are exalted above the heavens, but that you have knelt down to speak to us by your spirit through the word. I pray, Lord God, that you would show us Jesus this morning. Speak, O oh Lord, for we, your servants, are listening. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you a, a little bit of movie trivia this morning as we begin, asking you, what do the following actors and actresses have in common? Okay, I'm going to give you a list of 20 names, one for each point of my sermon. <laughs> Just kidding, only two main points of the sermon Five if you count the sub points, but 
I digress. Are you ready? Here's the list of names. What do the following actors and actresses have in common? Hattie McDaniel and Walter Brennan, Donna Reed and Frank Sinatra, Goldie Hawn and Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson, Angelica Houston and Sean Connery. Olympia Dukakis and Denzel Washington, Gina Davis and Joe Pesci, Angelina Jolie and Robin Williams, Jennifer Hudson and George Clooney, Penelope Cruz and Brad Pitt. The answer is that all 20 of these actors and actresses received Oscars for Best Supporting Actor or Actress. All 20 of them used their prodigious acting talents not to bask in the spotlight, but to shine the spotlight onto others in service of something greater than themselves in order to tell stories about love and loss, sin and salvation, guilt, grace, and gratitude. All of them, in spite of being some of the greatest actors and actresses in the history of film, looked to someone even greater than themselves and said essentially what John the Baptist said about Jesus in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Those seven words are essentially a summary of what the Christian life is all about. Those seven words are seven words that I pray each and every Sunday morning before I stand up to preach the gospel and should probably pray every single day. I think we all should. In his book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott observes, In the secular world, rulers continue to throw their weight about, manipulate and exploit and tyrannize others. Not so with you. Jesus' new community is to be organized on a different principle and according to a different model. Humble service, not oppressive power. The symbol of authentic Christian leadership is not the purple robe of an emperor, but the coarse apron of a slave. Not the throne of of ivory and gold, but the basin of water for the washing of feet. Or as Jesus himself said in, in Mark chapter 10, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a, a leader among you, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the question before us this morning is, how do we humble ourselves? How do we exalt our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? How do we become great actors and actresses, supporting actors and actresses in the greatest story ever told? 
That's where we find ourselves in the closing verses of John chapter 3, which is arguably one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. In the opening verses of John chapter 3, we met a man named Nicodemus. Through Jesus' nighttime encounter with Nicodemus, we learned the profound truth that all of us, even very religious, very conservative people like Nicodemus, must be born again. We must experience a radical transformation in our hearts and minds. We must be born again from above. We must be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through this encounter, we learn that the difference between Christianity and every other religion, every other philosophy, every other system of morality is that in Christianity, regeneration leads to transformation and not the other way around. John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then, after showing us an example of this gospel dynamic at work in the somewhat obscure story of Moses and the serpent from the book of Numbers, we read two of the most profound verses ever recorded in all of Scripture, John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The good news of the gospel, the good news that we preach and teach, the good news that we believe, the good news that animates our life on this earth from now until the time that Jesus comes again is the good news that the world's greatest giver, God himself, has given us the world's greatest gift, the gift of his only son, Jesus in order to meet the world's greatest need, our need for salvation, our need for forgiveness, our need for hope and joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. Through Jesus, we have the gift of light. Through Jesus, we have the gift of life. Through Jesus, we have the gift of salvation. And all that we have to do in order to open the gift, according to John 3, is to believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross in our place as the sinless Lamb of God who died to take away the sin of the world. And so the question before us once again this morning is, how do we respond to this? How do we live differently in light of this? By demanding the spotlight for ourselves? <laughs> By saying that other people in the world should serve me? By saying, it's all about me, it's all about my life and, and my plans and my agenda, may it never be. Absolutely not. We can't. And we, and we won't, which is the message of John the Baptist. It's not about me. It's all about him. He must increase, and I must decrease. And the great irony is that once that happens, all the fear goes away. 
all the worry and the anxiety goes away. We find ourselves when we lose ourselves for the sake of the one who lost himself so that we could find ourselves. How beautiful is that? How profound is that? What God is like our God? How could we ever conceive of a God like this? How could we ever know a God like this had he not revealed himself to us in the person of his incarnate son, Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth to show us the way from earth to heaven so that we might be resurrected and made new, reconciled to God the Father through God the Son in God the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a long introduction, but it's an important one. If you want the gospel to change your life, these seven words are the key. These seven words are the key that unlocks a life of of peace that surpasses all understanding, a life of humility, unspeakable joy, unconditional love, and irrepressible, unshakable hope. Verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. The rest of the passage is essentially a commentary on those seven words. How do we become great supporting actors and actresses in the kingdom of God? How do we humble ourselves? How do we exalt him? John the Baptist shows us how. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, we've got a pretty simple outline. Just two main points, and we'll see a few sub-points along the way, five of them. If you want to be a great supporting actor or actress in the greatest story Ever told two things, he must increase and we must decrease. We have to see and experience the weight of his glory and we have to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross. Well, what does that look like? What did it look like in the life of John the Baptist? Let's take a closer look. Our first big idea, and we're taking these things in sort of reverse order, but the order in which they're presented in John 3, first big idea is we must decrease. In order to become great supporting actors and actresses, we must humble ourselves. Verse 25. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. It's every pastor's worst nightmare. There's a new and cooler church in town And some of our members are going to become members of the new church around town. We have to do something. We have to fight back. Quick, bring me my skinny jeans. (laughs) Pastor Dave, work on that beard. Pastor Sean, we need more tattoos immediately. We're coming after you. Embrace Restoration Church of Velocity. Now, that's a made-up name. It was generated by AI, but that almost sounds real, doesn't it? I mean, I would almost want to worship at Embrace Restoration Church of Velocity. They have smoke machines. 
Their pastor has a soul patch. What are we going to do? How does John the Baptist respond? Well, thankfully, he responds not in any way similar to the way I would respond in a situation like this. There's not an ounce of panic in his voice. He's not upset. He's not afraid. In fact, the opposite is true. He's excited. Verse 27, John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands in and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Just, just a remarkable statement. Now, it's unique since the cool new pastor in town is Jesus and not some guy named Rain with a Y, but it still shows us how to humble ourselves. It shows us two ways, I think, of how we can be great supporting actors and actresses in the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing that we see, we'll call this point A if you're scoring at home, is that good supporting actors and actresses acknowledge God's generosity. We acknowledge God's generosity. A person, John says, cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Now, in this context, John the Baptist is probably talking about his vocation. He's talking about his calling. He's saying, God made me a pastor. God gave me this unique role in the history of redemption. And because of this, this is all a gift. My ministry, John is saying, is not really my ministry. And my church is not really my church, and my disciples are not really my disciples. It's not about me. It's all about him. This is such an important thing to remember. One of the main keys to humility, the, the, the genesis of, of humility, the beginning of humility happens when we remember that everything that we have and everything that we are is a gift from God. Many people could have been the pastor of Pinewoods Church, but thankfully, God chose me. I'm not sure why. Frankly, some of you are probably wondering, I'm not sure why. <laughs> We've been coming here for 11 years and we still can't quite figure it out, but he did. Many people could have been chosen by God to be the husband of Kate Brown. But thankfully, God chose me. I can't take credit for anything. Which makes me as happy as a kid on Christmas morning because everything I am and everything that I have is a gift from God. How do you become a great supporting actor or actress? How do you step boldly out of the foreground, and into the background. It begins by acknowledging his generosity. You are not a self-made man, and you are not a self-made woman. Everything we have is a gift from God. 
Now, the second thing we see, we'll call this point B, is that good supporting actors and actresses acknowledge God's superiority. So first, God's generosity. Second, God's superiority. John the Baptist reminds us, yet again, I am not the Christ. I am not your Savior. I am not your Lord. I am not the Chosen One. I am not the King. I am not your Savior. I'm like the best man at a wedding. I have an important role to play here, but I'm not the bride, that's the church, and I'm not the groom, that's Jesus. I'm a guy whose number one job is to stand here supporting the groom. Now, all analogies break down at some point, so uh, John's not talking about giving the best man speech or holding the rings or anything like that. The point is, I'm here, I'm at the wedding, I have a job to do, but ultimately, it's not about me. The only person paying attention to the best man at a wedding is the best man's wife, if he's married, and single ladies who are paying attention to the best man if he's a single guy and is not weird. That's all. The best man is the ultimate supporting actor, the wingman's wingman, because he has no choice but to acknowledge the superiority of the groom. In this case, Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. It's his wedding. That's the first big idea. We must decrease by acknowledging God's generosity and his superiority. Second big idea is this. Not only must we decrease, he must increase. Jesus must be glorified. Jesus must be universally recognized as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no God like our God, and God has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And therefore, the third thing that we see is that good supporting actors and actresses acknowledge that Jesus is exalted. Jesus is above all. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way, he who comes from heaven is above all. How many of you are pilots? We have a few pilots and ex-pilots here today. I come from a, a family of pilots. When I was growing up, both my parents, my mom and dad, were general aviation pilots, taking us around on little Cessnas and Piper Cubs and Cherokees and things like that. And Kate's family, her dad was a general aviation pilot, and her grandfather actually started an airline after training pilots in World War II at Thunderbird Field in Arizona. Her uncle Bob is a, a pilot. I've been up with him and his plane. So we have a lot of pilots and flying in our family. Now, one of the neat things about flying is that you can see so much more in the air than you can see while you're on the ground. 
When you're driving in a car on the ground, all you can see really is the car that is directly in front of you, especially if you're behind one of those big pickup trucks with like six wheels in the back and it's jacked up all to heaven. Man, you can't see anywhere around those things because that's what, that's what driving is like. When you're up in the air, you can see every other car on the road, which is why they have traffic helicopters and not traffic mopeds, right? The helicopter can see all the traffic. Why? Because the helicopter is above the traffic. Here is the point. Because we're of the earth, we have a tendency to see things in an earthly way, from an earthly perspective. Because we're of the earth, we can often only see what's directly in front of us. Because Jesus is from above, he has a heavenly perspective on things. He can see the whole picture. He knows exactly what's going on because he sees things that we just can't see. He has a heavenly perspective on things like suffering, on beauty, on money, on power, on truth and justice and mercy. And so the question is, if he's up there from above and we're down here from below with John the Baptist and all other human beings, how do we get that heavenly perspective? How do we begin to see things the way that Jesus sees them from above? Well, in a sense, he invites us into his airplane. He takes us from earth to heaven by his spirit so that we can begin to see things as he sees them. From the airplane, united to him by faith, we can see the bigger picture. From the airplane, we can see that we are bound for the promised land. From the, the airplane, we can see that even this light and momentarily, momentary affliction, which seems so real and so painful to us in the moment, is but a, a blip on the radar preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine. We glorify God by acknowledging that Jesus is exalted. He is above all. Now, the fourth thing that we see is that good supporting actors and actresses acknowledge that Jesus is not only exalted, but Jesus is trustworthy. Verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Now, when I speak, when I preach and teach on Sunday mornings and in Bible studies and in life groups, I speak words about God, but I don't speak the word of God unless I'm directly quoting the Bible. When Jesus spoke, he, and when he preached, when, when he was teaching, he spoke the word of God. 
Now, we'll notice this uh, throughout John's gospel, but if you take a look back up at John 3, verse 3, for example, you'll notice something very interesting. Again, it's one isolated incident. He does this over and over again in John's gospel. He said, John 3, 3, begins his statement by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, in the word in the Greek, that word that we translate truly is the word amen. So he's saying, amen, amen, I say to you. Now, here's the interesting thing. In Jewish culture at that time, it was up to other people to say amen. You weren't allowed to amen yourself. Amen was reserved for other people as a way of saying, I bear witness and I agree that what this person is saying is true. What this person is saying is aligned with God's word. But what did Jesus do? Jesus, in John 3, 3, and again, he'll do it over and over again, he begins by amening himself. He didn't need anyone else to amen him he confirmed his own teaching why because everyone else in all of history has attempted to speak about god and his word but jesus himself is god and therefore speaks god's word it's fascinating. Even Jesus' enemies acknowledged this. He would come to the temple, and he would preach, and he would teach, and he would be in the countrysides, and they would be absolutely flummoxed by him because they would say, who is this man, this unlearned uh, son of a Jewish carpenter? Where does he get this authority? How does he speak with such power? It's because he is speaking the very words of God. A lot of people have a lot of opinions about God. Some of those opinions are very good and helpful. Some of them are true and biblical and wise. Some are not. Some people will speak falsely in God's name, will say things that are absolutely not at all aligned with God's word. And so the question is, as we're hearing these things from pulpits, in the culture, who's right who is authorized to speak for God? How do we know the difference between truth, truth and falsehood? Well, the answer is, according to John the Baptist, we trust Jesus. Because everything that he said, every word, is true. He whom God sent utters the words of God. And so, if you're frustrated or anxious or confused, if you feel just absolutely beaten down and you don't know where to turn and you don't know what to do and you're not sure who to trust, we're just surrounded by a, a cacophony of voices speaking to us all the time. Where do we go? Where else can we go? Jesus has the words of life. Listen to him. Jesus is trustworthy. Finally, the fifth thing we'll see, last one, is a good supporting actors and actresses in this great drama of redemption acknowledge that Jesus is merciful. Verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God 
remains on him. We are, at the end of this beautiful, amazing chapter, back to the heart of the Christian gospel. Unfortunately, the bad news is, we do not always obey the Son. Sometimes we do, but there is no sometimes in any of these verses. Obedience to the Son, obedience to God, full trust, full love, full acceptance of Him is sort of an all-or-nothing proposition. It's a little bit like paying your taxes. You can't sort of pay your taxes. You either paid them or you didn't pay them. There's not a lot of gray area there, so it is with the commandments of God. We have not obeyed the Son. We deserve to be punished, all of us, so the wrath of God remains on us, right? It should remain on us. I have sinned in, in countless ways. But there's, a, there's an out. There's a remedy. There's a solution. There is mercy for everyone who believes. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You know, eventually, we are all going to die. And when we do, we will stand face to face with the living God, the God who created us, the God who sustains us every moment of every day. That day will either be the best day of your life or it will be the worst day of your life. God will either say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, or he will say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. There, there is no third option. And the difference between those two verdicts is Jesus Christ. Do you believe in him? Have you trusted in him for salvation? Have you looked to him on the cross, dying in your place, and saying, Oh Lord God, accept me, not because of me. Accept me because of your son. Love me the way you've loved your son. Receive me into your kingdom. Have you humbled yourself? Have you exalted him? Have you believed? If you do, you will receive his mercy. You will discover that there is actually nothing greater than stepping out of the spotlight. There's nothing greater than being considered a great supporting actor or actress in the greatest story ever told. He must increase, and we must decrease. Now, that's difficult, but it's not impossible if we remember what Jesus did for us. On the cross, Jesus decreased so that we might increase. On the cross, Jesus was humbled so that we might be exalted. On the cross, Jesus died so that we might be born again to a life everlasting. That changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Humble yourself, glorify him, and you will be called great in the kingdom of God. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the peace that we have through Jesus Christ. Oh Lord God, it is so easy for us to exalt ourselves, 
to, in our, in our minds or with our words, proclaim the excellencies of our own greatness. Oh, Lord God, would you strike that down that we might be born again to a new life of humility. May we, Lord God, lose ourselves that we might be found in you. Lord, again, in our own strength, this is impossible. But by the power of your Spirit, all things are possible. For indeed, all things are possible for those who believe. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.